0: everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? Happy New Year, everyone. I am Naomi Schaefer Riley, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute.
1: Hello, Naomi. And this is Ian Rowe, also a senior fellow at AEI.
0: And today we are thrilled to be joined by Marie Cohen. She is the author of a very important website that I encourage you all to visit. It's called Child Welfare Monitor. And Marie has a blog post that she put up at the end of 2023. um, And it is still very important that everyone go and read it. It's called, We Are Not Here to Save Children, Abuse and Neglect Deaths After Contact with Child Welfare Services in the District of Columbia 2019 to 2021. Thank you so much, Marie, for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you for asking me. I haven't been asked by a lot of people
0: anything about this report, so I'm very grateful. Well, we, we are hoping to change yes. that. Uh, so, Marie, I just want to start with talking about your background um, and your role in D.C. before you wrote this report. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you started uh, writing the Child Welfare Monitor blog originally um, and what you were doing uh, with D.C. in particular?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. So how, so I um, decided in midlife. Uh, to go back to school, I was actually a policy analyst um, and researcher, but I never worked on child welfare, even though I always had a passion for it. And I had it in the back of my mind. So um, but then I decided I wanted to work directly with people. So in the middle of my life, I went back to get a social work degree, specifically to work in child welfare. And um, I went to work after I got the degree, I went to work at the Child and Family Services Agency in DC, which is the District of Columbia's Child Welfare agency and actually what I I think what I really wanted to do was do child protective services because I, I wanted to I don't know I had this fantasy I would save children and all this but the first thing they told me in training was that we weren't here
0: to save children so yeah I,
1: I can't wait to, for you to explain what they did say they were here for
0: but we'll, we'll get to <laughs> yeah, that exactly we'll get to that <laughs> right all right, right so so you so you got this job and so, and I didn't actually ever end up
2: being a child protective services worker and that I'm very disappointed in myself at that, but I think it, w- it wouldn't have happened because the training was very strange. It was like a boot camp atmosphere and, um, I think I asked too many questions or something. Other people who
0: were <laughs> older, other older. We're shadowing things to come. Yes,
2: right. I ended up quitting, but I had the feeling I was going to be in training forever. I, I wasn't being graduate. So anyway, I, I ended up being a, a foster care social worker because I couldn't do child welfare uh, protective services anywhere else. In the District of Columbia, because it's a government function, but I could do foster care with a private agency. So I did that for several years, but it was really very um, hard for many reasons. It's a really hard job. A lot of people say it's harder than child protective services, but um, because you're sort of at everyone's beck and call, you know. But after a while, I realized that. I am a writer and a researcher, and the whole thing was kind of not the best idea um, going to social work school. It it was great to see what things are like on the ground. But I have to admit that I didn't ever work as a Child Protective Services worker. So when I do talk about it, I can't say that I have all this experience on the ground. But you have
0: have some experience with, obviously, kids who have been mistreated. So Um, So you went and became part of sort of a voluntary organization in D.C., uh, the the sort of Citizens Review Panel. Oh, yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because there is supposed to be some public oversight of these systems, and a lot of states have these panels. So um, tell us a little bit about your experience there, and then we're going to get into the blog post.
2: Okay, yeah, well, I didn't find the um, citizens review panel to be very useful at all. Now this is different Naomi from the child fatality review panel I was on Sorry, both
0: the child. Them. Yes, okay.
2: That's the one you're talking about. Because yes. yeah, A lot of states will count. It's the same thing like or they'll, they have to have a certain number of citizen review panels. so one of them will be child fatality review. You know, now in in the district, I actually was on the citizens review panel and I decided that was kind of a waste of time. And at the same time, I really wanted to be on the child fatality review panel. Um, anyway, I, I think I was on both of them for a while and then I dropped the citizens review panel. So you want to talk about child fatality review. Yes. I was on that panel for, for A few years. I think it was, maybe it was four years. And then I thought I was going to keep being on it. And then I was informed that I wasn't going to be reappointed, which is very strange because they really want community members. And they had an audit done, which said they don't have enough community members, you know, as opposed to the people who are on it because of their jobs, like, you know, there has to be someone from several agencies. But I think the problem was kind of related to my problem with CFS. Say I asked too many questions. I always read the cases beforehand, and I came with a lot of questions, and I had a lot of issues with how some of these children died, especially the ones that had child welfare involvement. It was like, oh, there were like 20 reports before they died, but nothing happened. And they they were absent for 30 days, and you know, and nothing happened. And all the reports were either screened out or they were or maybe they had a case for a few months, or maybe they were removed and then returned, but nothing changed. And then eventually, there would be a fatality. One of the things that really became evident to me that very few people talk about is that a child is anyone, they actually call it anyone, uh, well, under 18, but we did some under 21 as well. But so a lot of these children were killed in in violence, okay? And they were like, they weren't, killed in abuse and neglect right they were killed at the age of 16 17 18 in gun violence gang violence but i found that they were so overwhelmingly had child welfare background so you st- starting like when they were really little either they either there was they were born exposed to drugs or like by the time they were in first grade they were absent from school 25 yeah. days in the first month. And so I thought, well, this is really, I mean, it's not like any big surprise, but I thought, oh, you know, this is really um, interesting and important to realize how child abuse and neglect contributes to so many different problems. And when we talk about crime, I mean, we're always talking about the proximate causes, but not going back, you know,
0: 16 years to what, what was happening. Tell us about this blog post. So you, you started to sort of talk about the kinds of cases that the fatality review commission would look at. And so you did this in-depth study of um, the cases from 2019 to 2021. So, you know, kind of tell us your top line findings there. Like what, what happened when you looked really in depth at the stories of these children and the tragedies that they experienced?
2: Well, first of all, I couldn't look that in depth because I wasn't given in-depth information. What they gave me was reports that they had prepared for their internal fatality review. They have an internal committee. So, wow, that's great. Cause these reports are really in depth but it might be like a 16 page report and like 13 of the pages are completely black. They're just all redacted. What's not redacted is not much, but I did get to see all the re- like what was the nature of all the times the family was reported and, and what was the topic of the report and what was the um and what was the disposition finally. And then there were certain things that I still haven't totally figured out why they would not redact certain places like when the family had an in-home case that was often. That was often left in there except for certain things that would give a that could give away someone's identity or whatever um but right. anyways it wasn't as in-depth as i had hoped although if it had been i don't think i could have done this as one person but yeah there was a lot of of things that it, it was kind of amazing that how much that i saw that was startling and upsetting even given that how little information I had. And yeah, I, mean, um, I mean, Marie,
1: just re- reading the blog, I mean, I was stunned by looking, well, first of all, the number of children that died and also yeah. the cause of death. Yes. Um, and these were kids, again, after contact with the after system. So, so right. blunt force injuries, you know, three yes. kids died, opioid toxicity. Talk okay. about that. How could there be such blatant, violent, deaths of children once the system has been engaged for the purpose of saving children. And you may want to talk about actually why you named the blog.
2: Right, right. Well, yeah, that was based on when I came to DC, as I said, like one of the first things they told me in training is we are not here to save children. And you want, it. and I think that what they meant by that is that this child saving mentality is like this, um, mentality they wanted to get away from because they think of it as like I'm superior I'm the savior savior. thank you savior is the right thank you yeah yeah so that's a bad mentality they felt we should be finding the strengths that all these families have and helping them and you know they had us look at a picture of a a family picture that's all chaos and all that we were supposed to find the indicators of strength in it
1: right so do you think that that mindset leads because again the, the reason this report is so important is that these are reports of abuse after engagement with the system. So is right. it that you think mindset of we're not yeah. here to save kids leads to somehow ignoring obvious warning signs? What can be learned from what the system right. should be seeing to prevent these kinds of deaths?
2: Yeah, well, I think that they are missing warning signs for sure. And some of it might be the mindset. Sometimes I wonder if some of it is just... Training too because there was like one you know we had two in 2021 we had two horrendous deaths and um one of them was this little boy this little boy named Gabrielle Eason and um there was a report five months before his death from the child care and his stepfather just beat him to death his his uh, um little brother who was only three was put in intensive care when after they found Gabrielle dead after his because he had injury sufficient, equivalent to falling off a 20-story building from this stepfather, okay? So there was a report five months before his death where he came to school, uh, childcare with two bruised ears. And when they talked to his mother, he's like, oh, she was like, I don't know how he got that. So that's already to me like a red flag, like, oh, how come you don't know? You know, it's your two-year-old child. Anyway, and then some of the reasons she gave the possibilities Well, uh, the boys play rough, she said, <laughs> you know, and then she said, um, Oh, and then it turned out he had a black eye, like six, weeks before that but the the child care didn't report that and then she said oh and he fell off the couch once and um and he bangs his head against the wall and that's why we put a video camera in his room now that already that to me was a red flag I don't know that just seemed weird to me just when things seem weird like maybe the stepfather wanted to see what they were doing so he could then beat them up or I don't know it just the whole thing sounded weird And how do you get two bruised ears. Like if you fall down, how do you hit both ears? So I don't know if that lack of curiosity or that lack of suspicion comes more from the attitude or the lack of training, you know, I I, I don't feel like police
0: would ever just, just accept that, you know, it just, yeah. I mean, and that's an important point here. I mean that, yeah, that the training is an issue here, but things that would seem obvious. I mean, there, there were at least two deaths that you looked at where, another child in the same family had already been killed. I mean, I don't know how you ignore that as a red flag. But as you say, if you're just telling people to focus on the strengths and to overlook, uh, you know, these things as much as possible, people will ultimately, you know, sort of become, I I just wonder whether they become um, sort of indifferent to these external factors and kind of numb to, you know, the, the all of the shocking things that happened before, um, and then just sort of, you know, focus on the strength. You know, I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned how much was redacted, but but even some of the information you got, and and this happens to you, I know in other blog posts too, is like the information sometimes is just like pulling teeth trying to get this. From, um, you know, from D.C. or other states. Um, You know, what what do we what what do we think states should be doing? Like, why aren't they more transparent about this? And and, you know, shouldn't the public be more upset about the fact that it's very hard to get this information?
2: right i think that maybe it's not really pleasant right um maybe you know i don't think the public thinks about it that much right and and so who is the constituency for advocating for for this and i, I think that's the problem when some of these horrible cases come out you get like the daily mail in england covering them and you get every one of your people magazine covering them so obviously people do care but it's not something they're going to get all up in arms uh, about when it's not in front of them you You know, and I think the states are just doing they are required by federal law to like on request release certain information. That's all it requires. And but how do you know to request it unless you know who died? Um, And then D.C. adhered to what they thought was the it was clearly the letter of the law. I mean, as limited as possible, you know, they they just. They just tried to narrow it down as much as possible, you know, and I think that there's just way, way too much focus on privacy, you know, when it when it shouldn't be, because I think they're just too extreme, you know, in what they consider to be. Pri- if you're not providing the name, I'm not asking them for the parents names. And although they are actually supposed to provide the child's name and they don't do it anyway. No. Um,
1: well, Yeah, it seems like it's much more about shielding accountability than it is uh, protecting privacy. Right. What do you think think the leadership of the D.C. welfare system would say if they were to read this report?
2: I know, I wish they would, right? I think they would say, I'm taking these cases that are extreme, right? I'm taking, why am I taking these 16 kids who died as opposed to all the kids who didn't die? And it's like, you know, my view is that they're like the tip of the iceberg because for each of these kids, how many others are still at home and they probably will live, but how will they live? Are they gonna are they gonna be out on the street? shooting other kids because they've been beaten up all their lives or because there's no love in the house and they have to find their love elsewhere? Or are they going to be like, you know, absolutely not reading, you know, by the time they're in high school because of the the total neglect and the fact that they, they're, they were never sent to school practically, you know? So I feel like when you look at the topics of these reports, if you look at what these families were reported for, like most often it was something to do with drugs, but, but then it was, um, you know, domestic violence. It was, it wasn't as much physical abuse. I mean, that happened once in a while, but they were mostly reported for, you know, as I say, drug abuse first, lack of supervision second,
0: which the kids are just wandering around the streets, you know, just bringing themselves up. And especially for very young children. I mean, you know, we're we're, we're talking about like a lack of supervision for two-year-olds.
2: Right. Exactly. So you look at these things, and it's like, okay, most of these kids aren't going to die, thank God. But what kind of lives will they have? Are we just are we just completely consigning them to the margins of society or to? prisons or homeless shelters because of what they're going through. And Yeah, um, I th-
0: the fatalities are telling us something else about the rest of the population is an important point that I think you make. The other feeling I had reading your report, Marie, was also the frustration that the people who were making these reports must feel. That if you're the daycare employee or you're the school teacher or you're somebody else in a position of authority and you are calling CPS and saying this kid has shown up with a black eye and a broken bone and all sorts of other injuries that I find suspicious and to find that your reports are, you know, sort of being um, tossed off either, you know, if they are investigated, you know, it's sort of the most kind of trivial sort of investigation, which results in these sort of ridiculous answers, you know, from from parents about, you know, falling off a couch, you know, right. leading to injuries on both ears or something like that um you know just the frustration because i think there are a lot of responsible adults out there who are trying to do well by these kids and to realize that their concerns are just sort of falling into the abyss
2: absolutely and you know this is something new that um that isn't in my blog but it's going to be in my testimony that i'm giving before the dc council so the the brand new dc ombuds person for children which i advocated for um, they have their first report and it's not a long report because they've only been they're they're really new but and they haven't collected that many complaints yet but they got several complaints from from people um, about reports being screened out when they looked at these reports they disagreed with several of the screen out decisions. And they also got several complaints from teachers, particularly, um, that that they never heard back. They don't even know if these reports were, um, were taken or not, but they certainly didn't see anything changing in the life of the child afterwards.
1: And can we go to some of the recommendations that you put in the report, this concept of community papering? Right. I mean, despite the challenges you faced, and I know it's difficult because you didn't get the detailed reports, but you did... Have several ideas that you put right. forward.
2: Well, it's interesting. So this community papering idea, and I don't know if anyone else uses this term, but it, it's the idea of bringing the court in. Uh, you know, everywhere if you remove the child, you have to get the court to approve it. We, you can also get the court involved if you have a case. In home, you're trying to keep the child home and you want to get the parents to cooperate and get the help they need, you know, drug treatment, mental health services, whatever. Three of the most startling findings were the three cases where a child died while there was an open case in the home. And I think in all of them, the, well, in all of them, the, the social worker had a terrible time getting into the home and the parent would either, quote, not be home or not let them in. And I think in either all three or two of these cases, the worker never saw the child. There was an open case for some amount of time and the worker never saw the children until this child died because they were, you know, that nobody answered the door or the mother wouldn't let them in or whatever. So if, you know, to me, they put, they just... Put up with that for way too long. I mean, and in one ca- one of those cases, they um, had set up a meeting to explore this idea of what you do is you file a court petition to get the you get the court involved so that is now a court case and it's called here it would be protective supervision and the court would then endorse. The case plan that they have that right now, you know, says go to go to therapy, go to parenting class, go to, you know, uh, drug treatment. But but the parent is just ignoring everything and not even letting the worker in.
1: Is there a reason the protocol doesn't include calling the police? I mean, if the social worker goes there multiple times, why why wouldn't there be a
2: that's interesting. I think they definitely will call the police if it's an investigation, but this was like an in-home case, which is supposed to be services, which is supposed to be all nice and I'm your friend. You know, I think that the, the police, you know, calling the police is not what they want to do because it would spoil the whole, I mean, remember we're not saving the children and blah, blah, blah. Right. So, right. Uh, but I think if the judge said, oh, okay, I mean, nor- the idea behind this community papering thing, and this exists everywhere that you can have the judge do this this um you know is the judge would say okay we're coming back in three months and if i hear that th- you haven't let the worker in I mean, i'm i taking your kids away that concentrates the mind i think you know so they could, should be doing more of that and you know when i was on child fatality review panel that used to be recommended all the time but they just stopped recommending it as the political climate got more and more
0: the like saving children
2: Anti-saving children. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't heard, I hadn't heard about it for a while. And that was one of the things I was complaining about. Yeah.
0: All right, Ian, are you kidding me?
1: (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) I mean, it's unbelievable.
0: Marie, I want to really just encourage everyone to go read your blog. It's a child welfare monitor. Um, read this blog post and read all of the other things that Marie has researched, the outrages that she chronicles on a regular basis. Um, but she also does it in such an important way of methodically going through the data and helping you understand what is behind this. Um, so, you know, if you care about these vulnerable children and want to understand what is happening, you know, in your state or your town, Or the District of Columbia, um, go to Marie's blog. So thank you, Marie, for joining us. This has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer Riley. You can get episodes of this podcast um, on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. thank you.
1: Thank you, Marie.
0: Thank
2: you. Bye.